0: Our sermon this afternoon is from Mr. Matthew Steele. It is entitled, Just a Few of Our Blessings. Hello. Hello. How is everybody doing? Beautiful day. Beautiful people. Well, except for the one up here. have you thought about that? You know, we sing those songs, Count Your Blessings, and then we sung this new song about counting our blessings. Do we take time to count our blessings? Because I guarantee you, I am a professional at counting my curses. Right? All the things that I complain about, all the things that are coming on me and that I have to deal with, and that's kind of human nature, isn't it? We... We tend to focus on those things and forget to count our blessings. So as you're thinking about it, I'd like to ask you, and please participate, shout out, some blessings that you are grateful for what you have. Anybody? Kathy? Kathy? Your mom's better and that she'll be good or you'll be good. From now, okay, yeah, good health, good health for those that we love for ourselves. What else? What else are we grateful for? Thankful for Chantel, Ron, Ron. Did you pay her to say that? Oh, he wasn't even in the room. That is fantastic. Chantel, tell me, what are you thankful for? Ron, he didn't hear you. What else, Larry? What else? Over this side, there's got to be some grateful, thankful people for the blessing. Place to live, safe place to live. You know, so many people in the world do not have safe places to live. You know, we don't we don't think about that, uh, even in our own country. anybody else? Dollar? Uh, yes. <laughs> That is good. Allah, what are you grateful for? I, think I couldn't hear it. Friends and family. That is beautiful. God's Holy Spirit. And we could go on all afternoon, couldn't we? We could make a sermon of it. Chuck? I was blind and now I'm seeing in color, right? Yeah. Millions of years. So if any of us are not getting on, we might as well fix it now, right? We could really go on all day. We could make a full sermon out of all the different things that, that we're grateful for. You know, somebody right now is holding a little baby. What a blessing that is. And they have their kids next to them. Tremendous blessings that we have in our lives. And we have just so much to be thankful for. those blessings. When I was thinking about this message, I was thinking, I was doing this exercise, you know, what am I grateful for? What what are the blessings that I am aware of and attentive to? And, uh, you know, I was making a, a mental list. And then I decided, well, why not share some of the things, just a few of our blessings. And this is kind of a bit of an overview in one sense, but you know, I think it's important. There's, churches are made up of what? People. And people come out of what? What? Masses. Well, they do come out of masses. <laughs> but they're born into something. Families. Right? And everything that we do is ultimately as a result of having a family. Or maybe not having a family. Because it's so instrumental in the life of us, in our existence. And so the areas that I want to focus on today, the blessings that that I'd like us to focus on are around family. And when we think about family, I think most of you guys would agree with me that there's a certain person that we should put first on our list of blessings, right? Who would that be? After, after him, our wives. We better put them at the top of the list, right? But before we get there, I want to remind you of why we're in this, this place. Why we are in this condition. Why we're in a world where it's easier to count, to count the, the negative things and we have to make ourselves stop and count the blessings. You remember back in Genesis after Adam and Eve had sinned, God said to the woman in Genesis 3.16, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then Adam said, and then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I have commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, and it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you shall return. This is the basis of the existence that we find ourselves in today. Right? Not a blessing. The opposite of a blessing. It is the curse. It's the curse that started our fallen existence. Because of their unwillingness to obey God, to submit to God's will for their lives, they cursed themselves and us to die. And every other difficulty, every other curse is born from this one. And we've been cursed and will, through struggle, return to the ground but you're going to talk about blessings, man. But I think it's important for us to remember where we have come from and why it's so important for us to hold on to the blessing that we do have. Because underlying everything in our physical existence is this curse hanging over us. So as we count our blessings, like I say, where should we start? We should start in our family with our wife, for us men. In Proverbs 31 and verse 10, (coughs) we find the perfect prescription for the kind of blessing that we want in a wife, don't we? And all the ladies are like, really? You're going to compare us to this? This unachievable goal? Well, let's go to it. Let's look at it. Proverbs 31, verse 10, it says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts in her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservant she considers a field and buys it from her profits she plants a vineyard she girds herself with strength and the strength and strengthens her arms <coughs> she perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night Stret- she stretches out her hand to the distaff and her and her hand holds the spindle she extends her hand to the poor Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself. Her covering, covering is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hand. And let her, dance, her, her own works praise her in the gate. Beautiful imagery. And of course, <coughs> I mean, in one sense, when I read this, I wonder, you know, was, was somebody watching a woman do these things? Was somebody had a wife that was doing these things? And, and this is the, the source for this, for this proverb, but either way, when you look at the the elements that we have here, it's not about whether or not you know she's doing the making clothes or uh, doing those specific tasks. It's about being industrious, being uh, self-reliant, being very much shocker of all shockers, what we might term a modern woman, right? Being able to take care of herself and her family, have a career. Invest. Have a business. Buy a vineyard. And you know, it's so interesting that I bet you, uh, everybody in the Me Too movement would have been like pulling their hair out listening to me read this. Right? And yet, in many ways, (laughs) we already have the kind of example that that for too long, women were not able to achieve because of, of how our society was run. A wife. A virtuous wife is a woman strong in character. She is hardworking. She is intelligent. She's industrious and creative. She's capable of not running not only a household, but a business, or having a career. She's capable of teaching her children and being successful in teaching her children. She cares for her community, helps those that are in need. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness which is what? Mercifulness, loving kindness. And I would also add, and this is really important, she speaks with respect, with respect. And who is she speaking with respect to? Her husband. Very, very important thing for wives to do and to give to their husband is respect. And because of all her work, her husband's famous. That doesn't seem right, does it? He's known in the gates. But of course, of course, because we all know from experience we would not be the men that we are as husband if it was not for the power and the ingenuity and the intellect of our wife. Absolutely true. It's critical. It's critical for us to recognize these blessings, right? If we have a wife like this, and I do, I have this wife. I need to remember to recognize these things, right? Because as I said in the beginning, it's so easy for me to look at all the things that are not going right and for me to complain about the things that are not right. But I have these tremendous blessings in my wife, and you do too, those of you that are married. You know that you do. I know your wives. You have those things. And those of you that are not yet married, these are the attributes that either you need to have or look for. These are the characteristics of that precious woman that you can find as as a wife. (coughs) So for husbands, our wives are an incredible blessing to us, aren't they? They make everything work. An incredible blessing for us. And we also know that we're not really deserving of that blessing. That they give far beyond what we are worth. And yet, they do so. Now... You wives, as I was reading this list, I suspect, as I said earlier, you may have been cringing, well, I don't do that, or I don't do this part. or. But are you sure? Are you sure? Because in my experience, everyone has negative self-talk, don't we? And we just, we're not doing enough, we're not doing it well enough, and we see our failures, and we don't realize how far we are developing in Christ Jesus. Because, (laughs) I don't know if you remember or think about this, but if we are judging ourselves and, and criticizing ourselves and tearing ourselves down without a real balance, without really understanding how Christ is working in us, then we're tearing him down too, aren't we? If he is growing us and maturing us and we are constantly then negatively tearing ourselves down, then we are criticizing the work of him who is forming us into this new creature. So, don't cringe. Just look for the opportunities to grow into those aspects that maybe you feel like you could be stronger. So, Pretty high bar. Pretty high bar. But if you ladies are sitting there thinking this is a really high bar, have some thought for your poor husbands. Because our bar, by which we are judged, is Jesus Christ. Talk about a high bar. Right? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he says... Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Very high bar. And we can stop right there. We can unpack. We can unpack enough demands or requirements for an entire lifetime. What did Christ do for his bride? Well, firstly, he searched for her. He looked for her. He came looking for her because she was lost. And when he found her, he loved her and he built her up and he set her apart, didn't he? He set his bride apart. He rejected all others and set her apart in his life and then he poured out his life for her. She was the very reason that he drew breath and the very reason that he breathed his last. Everything about Jesus Christ was for his bride. That's why he came. For us. For each one of us. We were the reason that he came down to earth and breathed his breath. And we were the reason he breathed his last breath for every single one of us, his bride. He provides for her needs. He wasn't stopped there. He continues to provide for our needs, for the needs of his bride. He helps her in whatever she has to work in, whatever struggle, whatever difficulty in life, he endures it with her. Why? Just as the Lord does the church. Just a small ask for us husbands. It's not love your wife better than your neighbor loves his. Right? It's not love your wife and take care of your wife better than other examples that you may see. It is love and honor and honor respect, cherish your wife as much as Christ does the truth. That's it. That's the only benchmark. Nourishing, cherishing, supporting, aiding in every way. Continues, For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, that's that interesting respect element right there. It is so critical in a marriage that the wife respects her husband. And the one way that we can make sure that it's easy for our wives to respect us is for us to love and cherish our wives. It's a circular system, isn't it? It's a circular system. Paul reinforces that. (coughs) Now let me ask you, if this, if a husband is supposed to be a model, after the nature and the character of Christ Jesus, then what kind of respect should a wife give to her husband? The same kind of respect that she should give to Jesus Christ. Right? And that husband may not be worthy of it yet. But giving it anyway is not only honoring your husband, honoring Christ. The world at large has ceased to hold husbands and frankly men, and we haven't really helped in the matter, but the world at large has ceased to hold husbands in very high regard. You watch any kind of sitcom or TV show and, you know, the dad, the husband is always the the idiot right? that's made fun of, that's demeaned and he just can't keep up. And our society is losing a lot by doing that. We're losing a lot of respect for one another. And I don't think it's any surprise that we are where we are. You know, this so-called progressive world that we've been living in for however many years hasn't produced better behaved men in the media, has it? It hasn't produced better behaved relationships. It hasn't produced positive relationships. It hasn't increased the length and the longevity of marriages. It's done the opposite. It is critical that every person in a family is treated with love and respect. And it's also critical that every person in a family gives that love and respect. So, guys, we might be a little intimidated. Our wives are basing us on Jesus Christ. But fortunately, they're very generous, aren't they? And gracious. So our wives and our husbands are just wonderful blessings, incredible blessings to us. And they form the basis of the family. So what other blessings do we have? Well, we have the fruit of a family, don't we? We have children. Be they young or old, they are still a blessing to us. In Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, (coughs) Excuse me. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who builds it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. That's an interesting word too, heritage. Children are a heritage of the Lord. It can also be translated river or stream or torrent. And if any of you have had toddlers flying through the house, they look a lot like a torrent right? running through the house. Behold, the children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies. In the gate, and our children are just—they're—they're precious, aren't they? And they're monsters too, but they're precious monsters. We, Renee and I, have a phrase. I I don't know if I should reveal this, but it's from—you know—having twins is a little special, kind of unique torture at times. And uh, the phrase was—and I started it. I'll, I'll admit. They're monsters, and they're trying to kill us. And we don't so much say that anymore. That was really about the midnight feedings and all the, you know, and the mucus and sicknesses and all of that. But they're precious. We love them no matter what. And we love them in spite of all the things they do. (laughs) And then we love them even more because of the things that they do. But without a doubt, our children are rich blessings from the from God, they are a reward, aren't they? They are a reward and should be a reward for labor. And I'm not just talking about the birthing process, although that's part of it. But for all the labor that we put into them, they should be a reward, a rich reward. And it's okay for us to have that expectation of our kids. It is okay. They are a rich reward. The labor of love that we put in to get them here. And I really find this interesting. For the longest time, I couldn't quite get how putting your child on a bow and firing them into a field was in this imagery, right? Because there, it says it's like quivers. Or they're like arrows and fired from the bow of a warrior. And then it kind of struck me the other day that maybe this is an imagery <coughs> for what happens after our children... Grow up after they become mature, finish their education, start work, whenever that moment is, they are propelled out into the world, aren't they? They are fired out into the world. What do we need to do to prepare them for that? What do we need to do to keep those arrows firing, gliding on the straight and narrow, right? As they're propelled out from our home and building their own shooting them into the next level. Right? We, we want our children to have riches and, and blessings beyond what we had. We look for that. We work for that. What do we need to do to make sure that they're adjusted just right, so that their character and their nature enables them to have a successful and fruitful life? Because it isn't for us. It's for them isn't it. You know, and it's so easy to fall into the conflict. You know, especially I I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be experiencing this in the teenage years, but I remember my own teenage years. It's my life and I know what to do with it. And I think maybe I'm starting to know what to do with it now. But not when I was 16. And so it's our responsibility as well as a blessing to guide teach them, to train them, to help them know which direction to fly, and help them fly straight and high, and then, ultimately, to their final destination, right, because their life in this world, however long and short it may be, is just the stepping stone to the real life in the kingdom of God, and that trumps everything. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 13, you find the the familiar story. Jesus had been preaching and it it says they they brought little children to him (coughs) that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. Hey, get out of here, kids. This is an important preacher. We don't want kids getting in the mix. Rebuked those that brought them. You ever experienced that as a parent? I mean... Think about it this way. What if you came home from a trip and you, your child hadn't seen you for a little while and they come running to you? And somebody says, Oh, leave your dad alone. He doesn't need to see you right now. Leave your mom alone. He do not need to see you right now. Uh, excuse me? Who are you? Get out of my way. This is my child running to me. Right? And Jesus looks at this. He's like, Are you kidding me? Get out of the way. Don't do that, he says. When Jesus saw it, he said he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as one of these little children will by no means enter it. And he took them in his arms and laid hands on them and blessed them like his primary mission. What are you doing stopping these little ones from climbing into his lap? You know? I wish my boys could climb into his lap. You know, in person. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wish I could climb into his lap. Whenever I think about this image, you know, and you kind of formulate it in your mind, and I may have mentioned this before, but I, I remember a young family that lived to the, the back of us when I was growing up. It was about 10 or 11 years old. And their mother had died. And there was four little kids. And uh, we kind of be, became friends with them. And their dad was just, he was trying to work and look after them. And, you know, their clothes were always a little grubby. And they were <laughs> a little hungry sometimes. And he was struggling to take care of them. One time, we invited them over the fence. We drag them over the fence because they're the back of us, and then we thought, well, probably should tell mom and dad that we've got four new kids in the backyard. So <laughs> we all went inside, and I was about to say, hey, these are the kids we were telling you about the other day, and you know, and I, I don't remember their names now. There was a little boy, maybe five, six, something like that, and before I had a chance to say anything. He had pushed past everybody, went right up to my dad, and climbed on his lap. And just snuggled in. Didn't, hadn't seen this guy ever before. My look on my dad's face is like... <laughs> and then he just puts his arms around him. Just pulls him in. and he just, I don't know how long he stayed there. It was a while. And my dad was talking to the other kids. And... You know, my dad, he can talk to anybody for any amount of time. It's just a beautiful image. So whenever I I read this passage, that's what I'm reminded of. as a father gathering up these precious children, bringing them to him. My mother told me later that the father was, you know, having difficulty looking after his kids. I don't know what happened. They eventually moved away. But, you know, he wasn't probably able to be as engaged with his kids because he's working and cleaning and cooking and trying to look after his kids. It's the image of this little one looking for that father to climb up into his lap. So, I remember being glad at the time. I could have been a little jealous. my Dad. But I remember being glad that my dad could do that. So, how much more can Christ Jesus comfort and help our children? How much more can he do that? can, Tommy. We know that. We, he can guide them and, and lift them up in ways that we cannot. And yet we stop them. How do we stop them? Well, maybe we stop them by our behavior. Maybe we stop them by how, I don't know, how harshly we might treat our children sometimes. When we're stressed and we're tired, when we've come home from work and we just want to go to sleep. Oh, we've had enough of homeschooling these monsters all day long. It's so easy, isn't it, to let our guard down and to cause them to the trip or stumble by how we act and how we behave. After all, if we husbands are to be Christ like not just towards our wives, but also towards our children, it's easy for us to call cause them to stumble. And we're too harsh. Or when we're not firm enough. When we show anger more than we show love. When we fail to love our wives as Christ loves the church. That's critical too. That our children see see us loving one another in that marriage union. <coughs> Excuse me. So our behavior as parents, as moms and dads, can either bring our children Christ Jesus, or push them away. He says, let the little children come to me, and do not forbid or hinder them, for of such is the kingdom of God. And I'm always amazed by that, because they are already in it. It's already theirs, right? And we have to make sure that they don't grow up into a life where they reject it and take it away. It already belongs to our children. These blessings, these children we have are heirs and joint heirs with us of the kingdom of God. And I know we all want our children to be with us in eternity. So, what other blessings do we have in our life? <coughs> As we did earlier, we could do it again, couldn't we, and get more blessings. Small and, and big, it doesn't matter. Our life is full of blessings. But for me, the next one that comes to mind is all of you. Is each one of you in this funny-looking collection of people we call the church. Right? With all kinds of different backgrounds who come from all walks of life, foreign lands, whatever it may be. And, and would we have been connected otherwise? Sometimes not. Red would not hang out with a bunch of people like us. I mean, shaking his head over there. But we're all just so very unique, right? And, and if it was not for the church, would we be connected the way we are? We are a unique and special collection of people. And I want to say something to you, and this is, you know, from somebody that, through sickness and previous trips, hadn't been here for like a month. People are calling and saying, are you alive? But we, you, are missed when you're not here. What is that? What is that? That's family. That's love. That's the bonds in Christ Jesus, and we'll talk about that in a minute. We're missed when we're not here. Each one of you is important. And it not, may not be because you do something. It may just be because you are someone that lifts up, that encourages, that just loves on another when we're here together, at church. You know, certainly we all spend times with different people at different levels. That's the way people connect. And nothing wrong with that but we are missed when we are not together and the fabric of this church is made less by your absence old or young and I know it's especially hard when you have a young kid especially hard I don't know how many times Renee and I would be looking at each other when our boys were babies and we we're like why are we here we're just in the nursery <laughs> nobody else is in here and it's work And all of our stuff isn't the way it is at home. (laughs) And it's easy to just say, I'm just going to stay home. We needed our family. We needed that connection. And I remember, and I'll always remember this, the first day that we brought our boys to church after that long journey that we had. And all of you were having an event. I can't remember what it was. Game night, maybe, or something. And it was a big... Hooray and a round of applause. We made it. (laughs) Never will forget that. We are a family. The Apostle Paul says this. Well, I think it was Paul in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. By a new and living way. Which he consecrated for us through the veil. That is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. What are we drawing near to in this, in this image? Oh, God, right? Of course. A boldness to enter the holiest, we are drawing near to God, entering that holy place, through the veil, that we're walking up to the throne of God, climbing into his lap, just as those little children climbed into Jesus. And just as that little boy climbed into my father's lap. That simple. That easy. We have to do the same, don't we? We have to do the same. That we are now in Christ Jesus. We are innocent and pure little children. Prepared for his kingdom. He says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. And he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? I've asked this question before. It's not hard. The day of the Lord, right? The day when Jesus finally returns Is it closer? I know I ask this a lot. Because it is. Isn't it? It's closer than the last time I asked this. More and more. As you see the day approaching. That's what it says. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. More and more connected. More and more checking on one another. More and more encouraging one another. More and more fellowship and praise with one another. More and more potlucks. I mean, who doesn't like that? As we see the day approaching. Why? Because we won't be able to eat really. Well, we could, but it's not the same. We'll be spirit beings. We won't need to eat. But we should work on this. Just as we work on being a better husband, a better wife, a better father, mother. This is the critical piece in our church, in any church. In assembling, there is comfort, there is blessing, there is prayer and praise. There is the collective power of the Spirit of Christ Jesus assembled here to move the Spirit for healing, for encouragement, for intervention in the lives of those that we pray for. Why do we pray every Sabbath? We pray because we want to respond and we want to use the spirit and use the prayer that God has given us as this tool to help in the lives of those that need it. And of course, in this gathering is the environment by which we can stir up love and good works. We need that. Because in the world, we don't get that. Not, not in the same way. The world is negative. The world is falling apart. The world is destructive. It stirs us up, all right. It makes us angry. But this is to stir us up in love and good works, and more and more as the day approaches. <coughs> in Colossians 3.12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another and forgiving one another. And if any has a complaint against the other, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful." so there's really some interesting points here firstly Paul says we must put on love and of course we do that right? by being merciful by being kind by being humble and long suffering towards one another and when we've done that when we've done all of those things then we have devel- developed this love this bond perfection but what is a bond Anybody? Anybody know what a bond is? It's not James Bond. Not the same thing. A bond can be a legal instrument, right? It can be a legal thing, a contract. It's something that ties somebody together with another entity. Or it can be, you know, a rope tied around the wrists. Chains around the legs, or whatever it may be. It's a bond. It's something that connects and cannot be broken. Learning to live and work and grow alongside one another is quite simply the reason that we are here, isn't it? And if you think about it, most of our sin, if not all of our sin, is generated because of or around other people. You ever thought of that? Because it's other people that make us lose our rag, isn't it? Right? Just get angry. Of course it is. It's other people that will test our patience. Right? It's other people that will also encourage it. Guide us. So, our engagement with one another is really the test of how we are maturing in Christ. And that's why we, part of why we are together as a church. A true test of love, the love that binds us together, is how we care for one another in spite of all of our failings. The whole purpose of life here on earth sometimes seems to be to just to come to an understanding of one another. And to love one another. And you know something else too. If we are all going to this one place, if we are all in boldness walking into the throne room of God and climbing up on his lap, we are getting closer together in the process. Because everyone else is going to be there too. Right? My boys drive me crazy. One of them's on my lap, and the other one's, hey! And here comes the other one. And then I'm like divided down the middle. And they both put their hands just right there. So they're not quite touching each other. But we are going to touch one another. As we're all piling onto Jesus' lap. So when we draw together, we draw towards, obviously towards each other. But we're also drawn closer to Christ Jesus excuse me, back in Matthew 16 and verse 18, when Jesus announced the formation of this new body, this new grouping of people, he said this, and I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock, and we're not going to get into the whole Peter and pebble and rock thing, but I will build my church, said Jesus, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we know what church means. Well, maybe you don't. Church means assembly right? It, may, it just basically means assembly. The One other thought I want to leave you with on this is if we disassemble, we are going against the will of Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. But he said, I am building an assembly and then we say, no, I don't like those people anymore. I'm going somewhere else. We could be going against the will of Christ Jesus by disassembling our church, disassembling the family that he has put us in. So, we are to draw near to Christ. We are to draw near to one another as we all enter that throne room. As we all climb on our Father's lap. We have so many blessings to be thankful for. So many different blessings. But to end I want to I just skip forward here. I'm, I'm running out of time. Let's see. Turn to Romans chapter 8 <coughs> excuse me, and 28. Just kind of breaking into his flow here. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, many family members, all in Christ Jesus. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him so freely give us all things? You know, this is the greatest blessing, isn't it? This is the greatest blessing that we could ever have. The fruit of of Christ's labor in us to bring us to this place where we can... Freely receive all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Makes intercession for us. What a blessing that is. Every day. Every minute of every day. Christ Jesus stands for us. He stands for you. He is right there. An intercessor for us. An advocate for us. And then he says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation. Or distress. Or persecution. Or famine. Or nakedness. Or peril. Or the sword. As it is written. For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, or any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is our greatest blessing.